Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. The time has come for us to learn, to analyze and scrutinize the things that we have conveniently come to believe as factual through repetition from what is actually the real truth. We have somehow been led to slaughter by our refusing to ask the questions that would hopefully make sense of the rhetoric, if indeed the rhetoric made any sense at all. We have our suspicions for good reason. So often we find it easier to go along, to get along, rather than ask the questions that would lead us to the truth. Have we grown so accustomed to being lied to that the lie has become the thing that we desire? Have we lost our taste over the years for what is real and factual because we would rather be entertained than informed? 
How is it that we would rather focus on one tiny fragment of the aftermath than the root, source, and the cause? What then stops us from opening the debate that would bring about the key changes needed to break the cycle of injustice? Have we been made to feel powerless, or are we just unconcerned? What will it take to wake up America? In this age of information technology, there's more usable, factual resources available to the average individual through the Internet that could have ever been available to the most learned scholar just 15 years ago. But we still choose to be spoon-fed rather than research, debate, and digest the truth for ourselves. Now we find that we are so brainwashed that our attention now locksteps to the next scandalous, exaggerated, emotion-driven headline while the truth sits unnoticed, in plain sight, yet another day. Well, I for one will not be a part of this brainwashing of the masses, this decline in intellect, this surrender of conscience. So where do you stand in the scheme of things? Free thinker with a mindset to seek out and devour the truth? Or just another cog in the wheel of blind complacency? Well, of course the choice is yours. But as for me... No matter how much garbage you try to heap in my direction, I will always maintain a healthy appetite for a measure of truth. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. Look, if you just click the link on my webpage, or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com, or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page, and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we've got a great show for you today. Tonight on A Measure of Truth, we feature a new segment that provides solutions and strategies to reverse the fallout of the current mortgage crisis. The new segment is called King Street, hosted by our resident mortgage and real estate expert, Christopher King. We now welcome to the show King Street, hosted by Christopher King. Chris, welcome back. Thank you, Michael. Glad to be back. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, we got a great response from the first show. I mean, your first time out, it was pretty awesome numbers, man. We're very excited to have you get this going again. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm very excited to be back as well. I think that some of the issues that I addressed um, on my previous show and I intend to address in tonight's show primarily around the foreclosure issue, uh, should be interesting to people as well as it should provide thought-provoking discussions and conversations around those issues. Oh, well, we're raring to go, so let's get started. Well, I'd like to start by first talking about foreclosure and where we are currently as a nation with this foreclosure uh, crisis, with the new information, uh, the new, I would say, lingo being should we have a foreclosure moratorium or not? And I just want to weigh in on that, my thoughts, and and just allow the caller to hear uh, some of the different thoughts being expressed by by myself as opposed to some of the thoughts that have been expressed by other real estate professionals. I'd like to start by 
talking about some of the ramifications if we were to have a foreclosure moratorium. One of the things that I would, if we were to have a foreclosure moratorium, which I am for, and at least at the very um, level of the Fannie Mae and, and Freddie Mac properties, which the government does own and we as, as people own, there should definitely be a foreclosure moratorium on those properties at the very least. I understand the um, administration's reluctance to do it on maybe forcing the lenders and the banks to do it on their properties, but the properties is owned by Freddie Mae and Freddie Mac, which makes up approximately half of all the homes in the United States. There should definitely be a foreclosure moratorium. And I say this for this reason why. Um, because, number one, the act of putting a homeowner out, which is foreclosing on a property, pretty much taking back the possession of the property from the homeowner and evicting that homeowner and that family is a very devastating process. And to me, that should not be uh, something that should happen on just happen chance information. And there's been a fact that a lot of these banks, and particularly a lot of ro- notaries, did not actually see um, someone sign the document. They did robo-signings, and that's actually a fact. And to me, if there's any kind of um, evidence that that existed, then every every home and every client that's in foreclosure right now, which means they're as a homeowner who's typically 90 days behind in mortgage, should be investigated and should be made sure that the proper paperwork is being handled properly before that homeowner is expected to hit the street. Because yeah. I actually saw something about that in the news, and it involved over 500 mortgage um, applications. And so what you're saying is is people didn't do their due diligence in the processing of these and allowed some things to slip through the cracks, which were not the fault of the person applying for these financial instruments, but it was totally on the uh, the financial industries, the banking industries, the mortgage companies to have done their jobs properly. Correct. I mean, because where we, we are currently right now as it relates to the real estate market is we, we're in unparalleled territory that we really haven't never been in in the context of this magnitude of foreclosures. And there's even more foreclosures slighted uh, for 2012 as well. And so I mean, up to 2012 and 2011 and up to 2012. So we're looking at a total of another 8 million foreclosures that is predicted between now and 2012. And that number obviously is what the banks are dealing with and trying to how you go about handling that massive number. As a matter of fact, according to the Center for Responsible Lending, they say that one out of every ten homeowners are either behind their mortgage payment or in foreclosure. And that's quite a bit of, of homeowners that are facing that. And so banks create this global signature um, solution in order to process foreclosure more quickly. And this is with um, that oversight is, is, is causing massive people to lose their homes by the millions. That, to me, is something that needs to be addressed because not only are you uprooting a family from the context of having that home in their, their foundation, but also the what you're doing to the city as far as destroying the tax base. Uh, the property sits there vacant for months, and then it becomes a blight on the community. Then, of course, foreclosures themselves as far as the property within a neighborhood also brings the property value of existing homeowners' property value down. Right. Studies have come out to say up to about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars per for for every foreclosure in the neighborhood. It brings the um, homeowners probably value down fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. Absolutely, 
And um, it's not just from the board of home, but it's also because the, the home is no longer being um, managed. It's um, when people know it's empty. There's vandalism. There's theft. There's um, a lot of damage that can occur to that property as well. But it affects those people in the neighborhood and the property values of their own homes. Exactly. Exactly. And this is why I'm, I'm advocating that a foreclosure moratorium be put in place, and so until we can figure out how to go about dealing with this crisis and not just proceed business as usual. Right. So you're saying that stop all where we realized that people had not um, done their due diligence in the application process as well as others. Exactly. Exactly. If there's any kind of case or incident that that might even be an issue, then to me that foreclosure filing should be uh, examined very carefully before it's proceeded upon. Okay. As a matter of fact, I was reading in a paper the other day that just within Maryland, they said that there's been six notaries that have been fired by the state that have been that have um, have not who have signed that they've seen signatures, but truly they've not seen signatures. So six notaries have been fired. So that goes give you it gives you an idea of how high this is growing as far as the magnitude of uh, fraudulent claims. And Chris, we actually have a caller who's called in, and um, we'll find out who that is now. Welcome, caller. Welcome to A Measure of Truth. You're online with Michael Fordham and Christopher King. Hello, online, um, 981. Hello, are you there? I'm sorry, I'm here. Oh, okay. And tell us your name and where you're calling from. My name is Toya, and I'm calling from the Washington, D.C. area. Okay. And um, did you have a comment or a question? Um, My question is, well, it's a question and a comment. So I am in the process of negotiating a deal on a foreclosed property. Um, It has been on the market for more than three and a half months, and I'm not getting a proper response from the bank nor the agent. Um, I think when we have people who are willing and in a position to purchase this large inventory of homes, it makes it very difficult and frustrating when that process still can't go through and yet the banks are looking to put even more inventory in the market. So my my question to you guys is how do you handle a situation like that um, and what advice would you give um, for folks who might be in a similar situation? Well, that's actually a great question. Uh, I would ask you a question, number one, by just uh, first stating the fact that one of the ways to handle that would be to, if you're buying a property from a real estate broker or you're attempting to buy a property from a real estate broker that is written in property on behalf of a bank, that I will contact the um, actual real estate agent or the, the broker of that real estate agent and let them know what's going on as far as the lack of communication and professionalism the agent is demonstrating, and that's what you're running into as an officer. Also, I think what needs to be addressed is the fact that that's also a common uh, practice, apparently, that a lot of people who are attending to buy these foreclosed properties, and again, foreclosed properties are those properties that are already gone through the foreclosure process, and now they're sitting there vacant and empty, and, and the banks have taken possession of those properties again. A uh, common term is used as synonym is REO, which stands for real estate owned property. Now, what Ms. Evans is speaking of is actually purchasing a property that's in that particular 
uh, faith where the bank owns the property and she's actually negotiating directly with the bank as the actual seller of the property. In that case, that actual paperwork, is uh, that process is also something that needs to be redefined because she's running into an issue where there's a lot of um, addendums that have to be um, adhered to on her part where it protects the bank but doesn't necessarily protect the homeowner, such as uh, home inspections, such as um, um, there's going to be mold and there's going to be a lot of issues with the property because nine times out of ten a buyer in her situation is buying a property as is. And so that those issues need to be rectified and that process needs to be streamlined um, in order to help begin to write the real estate market. In other words, get the properties moved that are already foreclosed on and, again, as it relates to foreclosure moratorium, ones that have been deemed um, correctly foreclosed on if you can actually create a term around that. But to answer your question, ma'am, what I would do is, number one, I would contact the broker up for that real estate agent and let them know by email some of the difficulties you're having with purchasing this foreclosed property. And number two, I would also uh, write a letter to your local um, representative and let them know what you're facing, particularly if you find out that you're buying a property that is owned by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac as far as their process of trying to acquire their home. Now, Chris, I have a quick question while we're talking about this. Now, what about some of these properties where there is a freeze on the foreclosure process? If someone was looking to actually purchase one of those, could they find that they're stonewalled, or should they be notified in advance that this is one of these questionable properties where they're reviewing the application process, and um, that might be one of the holdups? Is that a possibility? There may be a possibility. I know that I would have a lot of real estate professionals who would disagree, disagree with me on this, but, again, I'm a proponent of saying let's first protect the homeowner who lost their house. If that house was foreclosed on the original homeowner through fraudulent means, then I think every step should be looked at and examined to make sure that property is uh, more likely given back to the homeowner as possible. So there are a freeze on those properties in that case, and the freeze are a result of an investigation that's been conducted. I believe that still still continue. But I know that it slows the real estate process up quite a bit for new home buyers who want to buy those properties, but by the same token, I think those home buyers would have to agree that if they were sitting in other uh sitting in their homeowner's shoes, the previous homeowner's shoes, I'm sure they would want every step and every um everything checked to make sure that there was no fraud and action on their foreclosure as well. Right, right. Now is this process um that this young lady is experiencing, is that a problem with people being um, stopped from purchasing homes that they're ready to buy and um, only to, to sort of shake it out and let someone else maybe have an opportunity at the same property? Is there some type of favoritism going on in this process as well, or is this just really just tied up in the um, the litigation that's going on or just the bureaucracy that, that just pretty much is a part of purchasing a home? You know, I, I tend to believe that it's a, it's a uh, case of all three, and I think it's really difficult to really try to sum it up in the one, put it in one context. Because I think it's you know it's, a, it's on a case by case level, and it may be uh, may, those may be a factor of each case. But I believe in the young lady's uh, particular example, she's dealing with more so the unprofessionalism of the real estate community that's not responding to her. Uh, attempt to purchase the property. In, in a real estate transaction, there's a lot of communication that has to be initiated between the um, buyer agent working for the buyer and then the listing agent that w- works for the, the seller. 
and there needs to be back and forth communication to really make sure that that process moves along timely and accurately. And if the listening agent is not responding in a timely manner as far as submitting uh, disclosures over as a foreclosed property or just um, getting documents, um, getting the addendums and things signed by the seller, which is the bank, then that can prolong the process and hold the buyer's feet, hold that process up for the buyer. And the problem for the buyer that the product will um, going to be experiencing is that when they get approved for a loan from a lender, nine times out of ten, they're going to do it what's called locked in their rate, which means they will let the broker know, for example, if the current interest rate up to date is 3.78%, the buyer may want to lock that rate in for 30 days or so to make sure that if the rate does change over the next couple of days, they lock their rate in today. And if the seller or uh, listing agent is not, you know, Responding in a timely manner, the buyer may actually lose their lock and actually lose their rate as a result of trying to get this process expedited. Right, that's good information. Yeah, some of the tactical moves that you should know about and um, actually going through this process. And um, tell us a little bit more about um, some of the things, like you just really mentioned, and I want to make sure everybody understands this at, at the, the simplest level. Tell us a little bit about the the representation of um, the listing agent versus the the buyer's agent or the seller's agent, and make sure people understand the difference in the two. Okay, well, definitely. Well, a listing agent is a um, a realtor. Both both parties are realtors, or real estate agents, I should say. Uh, and the listing agent works on behalf of the seller or the party that's selling the property. And what they they call a listing agent or a selling agent sometimes. And what that means is that they're responsible for making sure that they protect the interests of the seller to get the best possible deal for the seller, as well as explain to the seller all the legal paperwork that's involved with the process, and pretty much make sure that they negotiate, based on their market research, the best possible price for the seller. And the term listing comes from them having to list the property on a multiple listing service, sometimes referred to as MLS or an MRIS multiple information system. And so that's the term listing agent. And that agent, again, they represent the seller. Now, the buyer agent usually is the one who represents the party that wants to buy the house or the home buyer. And now, again, their job is to pretty much protect the agent, much in the context of a, like a lawyer. You have a, a lawyer who represents the uh, one, two sides of, in a party, one the offended, another one represents the plaintiff. And that's pretty much how it works in this context, where the buyer agent is representing the buyer, the home buyer, and their job is to make sure they explain all the legal paperwork to the home buyer, as well as get the possible, the best possible deal for the home buyer as well. Now, neither agent can communicate to the other agent about the details of the transaction or the details of their party. All they can do is really communicate around the deal, and they have to communicate with the seller and the buyer's permission and and now it's an understanding. And that's great. And did we we just lose you there? It sounds like we may have had you cut off. Me as no, I, I Okay. Great. And um so so what else do you have for us today? And caller, did did that answer your question? I just wanted to make sure we had covered all the bases on your question as well. It did. Thank you very much. Okay. Well what else I want you know, the other thing I want to talk about is really what causes Foreclosures to begin with. Again, at the end of the day, well, I'm, I'm a person that believes in getting to the 
I would say, the, the key foundation of the problem. And the key foundation of the problem always stems around education. Mm-hmm. And in terms of real estate, uh, realtors and real estate professionals always talk about one of the main things about real estate is location. As a matter of fact, they'll say it three times, location, 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 is the most important thing as it relates to purchasing real estate or selling real estate or anything that to do with real estate at all. And on that note, what I like to say is education, education, education. Because even cause we, and education is really what's lacking in the home buying process. It's more, I'm advocating that education should be a mandate that if a home buyer intends to buy a home, they should receive home buying education. And currently it's more so it's optional. Now, to, to receive grant and down payment closing cost assistance from the state and federal level, then home education is mandatory. But if a home buyer already has the down payment and doesn't necessarily need, or um, most of those home buying programs are income specific, if they if they exceed the income requirements, then they can then they pretty much don't have to receive any education. They can go out and buy a home pretty much on their own knowledge. And I really want to stress the importance that people should not look at purchasing a home in the same context as purchasing anything else. It's not a consumer-related item. As, as a matter of fact, I don't like the term consumer as a way to a person purchasing a home. I like to use a better term investor because, again, that's what the homeowner is in that context. And when I say that, when I'm defining investor by being anybody that buys or invests in a in an uh, asset with the intent of that, or that asset appreciating in value, going up in value, is at that point an investment. And that's what a home buyer is interested in doing. They're not buying it like a car or a radio or any other item that they understand will depreciate in value once they acquire it. They are buying it with the intent of going up in value. And if they're buying it with that intent, then they need to approach it more like an investor, and education needs to be centered around them, around that, before they even actually go out and invest. And the same thing with the current homeowners who are actually faced with foreclosure as well. I believe that any time that you're going to receive any kind of workout solutions, and some of those solutions that I'm speaking of uh, are called loan modifications or forbearance agreements or things of that nature to keep the homeowner in their home, then, of course, that also should be tied to education, that a homeowner should be required to take courses to understand how the loan is structured, um, how to go about managing their budget, for example, how to go about understanding who to call if they fall in trouble. If they, fall, if they see themselves falling behind on their mortgage payments, who is the first person they should contact? That education around it is critical and very important. And as my experience as a foreclosure counselor, I've had so many times where homeowners would contact us last, and they and pretty much give us two or three days before the property sold at auction to try to resolve the issue which we should have been the very first person they, they asked to contact. Hmm. Wow. And, and tell us a little bit more about the name of your organization and the website briefly, and uh, we'll get back into this again later on, but just while you've got everyone's ears burning, um, give them some information about how they can contact you. Well, the name of my company is Realty Resolution Services, and the name of the website is www.r com. Again, it's Realty Resolution Services, and the website is rrshealth.com. Okay. 
more information about myself and and, his, and services that relate to foreclosure and home buying from our website. Okay, Chris. And what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break and just hear from um, one of the um, nonprofits that I uh, work with, Young Lives, and then we'll be right back and we'll go on to the next topic after this. Okay. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. I want to take a quick minute to talk to you about Young Lives DC 34. Young Lives is a unique, cutting-edge, nonprofit Christian organization designed to empower and equip pregnant and parenting teen moms to become productive citizens in the community, a program that partners teens and mature Christian women to provide teen girls in crisis with timely encouragement, guidance, and ongoing support. Through the power of presence, Kids and teens' lives are dramatically impacted when caring adults come alongside them, sharing God's love. Because someone believes in them, they begin to see that their lives have great worth, meaning, and purpose. This is just the first step in a lifelong journey. The choices they make today, based on God's love for them, will impact their future decisions, the careers they choose, the marriages they form, and the families they raise. And all of this can be traced back to the time when a young life leader reached out and entered their world. For more information or to get involved, check out their webpage at www.younglives.younglife.org. Or if you're in the D.C. metropolitan area, call 202-399-7017. Welcome back, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth in our segment we like to call King Street with Christopher King. Christopher King, welcome back. Thank you, Michael. In this segment, we'd like to talk about revisiting the home-bound process again. And I really want to stress the importance that, number one, this is one of the best times, despite the uh, foreclosure and what you may hear in the media, this is about one of the best times to purchase a home. For a variety of reasons. Uh, number one is the interest rate there, or at a record historical record low. Uh, also, the fact that there is tons of inventory, and you can actually buy homes for um, at least half or 40 percent off less than what they were two or three years ago. And so, this is one of the best times you can actually purchase real estate. One of the problems is that even though it's one of the best times to purchase real estate, a lot of home buyers will run into is that the banks have tightened up the lending requirements, which means that the credit is even going to be looked at even more uh, strict. And so with that being said, it's important that home buyers must, and I use the word must, go out and begin to look at their credit before they go talk to a real estate professional or, or a lender more specifically. They should look at their credit and understand what's on their credit report and get familiar with it. Because one of the Main things that I see in my experience in working in the real estate industry is that a lot of buyers don't even look at their credit report until it's time to get ran by a mortgage lender. And to me, that's really when it's too late. Because by that time, the buyers first get their first look at the credit report. And then, of course, uh, over 78, I'm sorry, over 89% of all credit reports, according to the um, to Equifax, one of the three major credit reporting bureaus, have errors on those credit reports. And so more than likely they're going to have some errors in their credit report. And you want to get those things worked out before you actually go talk to a mortgage lender to make that um, home buying process a little simpler, a little easier. And, and along those lines as well, 
they want to get clear and become informed and educated about the home buying process. Again, number one is understanding how to read a credit report, how to look at their credit report, uh, where the credit reporting agencies, where they can get a credit report for free. For example, um, a lot of people don't realize that you can, they, they're entitled to a free copy of their credit reports from all three credit reporting bureaus. And those credit reporting bureaus are Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. And by law, each, uh, every um, person is entitled to one free credit report per year from each one of those bureaus. And the site to access that is annualcreditreport.com. And that is the only site in which you can actually get a free credit report from all three credit reporting bureaus, other than going to each one of those sites individually. But getting, getting the opinion credit report from annualcreditreport.com, that's what's called a tri-merge credit report, which is a, a uh, combination of all three credit bureaus put into one credit report. And the reason that's important is because, again, not all creditors report to all three credit bureaus. I'll give you an example. Um, Macy's. If you have an account with Macy's or a charge card Macy's, Macy's may report to Equifax, but they're not necessarily they may not report to TransUnion or Experian. And so that's why it's important to get a snapshot of all three because that's what the lender is going to be looking at. The lender is going to look at what's called tri-merge credit report. They want to see all three bureaus and which your credit profile looks from all three bureaus. So that's why I really advocate that a home buyer or anyone interested in purchasing a home should look at the credit report. And, and just from like the context of taking into consideration identity theft, I believe people should review their credit reports at least twice a year anyway, every six months. One day they get free, and then one they're going to have to purchase. And, again, the purchase price of a credit report is only runs anywhere from $9 to, at the most, $25. Now, so you could purchase that credit report from the same place, creditreport.com, right? No, annualcreditreport.com. Oh, annualcreditreport.com. Exactly. Okay. Now, so we see all of these different places advertised on the um, television and radio to get your credit report, um, and they're charging you all this money. That's not even necessary. So if you have not got your annualcreditreport.com credit report, there's no need for you to go purchase them. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's my personal advice that I would recommend that before they even start the home buying process and they realize that maybe you're just thinking about it. And I think everybody should be, at least, you know, um, I've heard a lot of people say that everyone should not own a home, and I disagree with that statement. I say everyone should not own a home who's not informed and educated. But anyone mm-hmm. who's informed and educated should be, should be allowed to, be, to partake in the American dream and, and home ownership. Right, and, and you can never really begin to build wealth in America unless you start to own real estate. And, exactly. Uh, yeah, and, and that should be important to everyone. If it's not important for you in the way you live right now, it should be important for your legacy, for your kids, you know, to help, help family members. Because owning a home just pretty much means that you may not necessarily have to go to the bank when you need money and when you need to be able to provide for your family. It gives you that option. Exactly. And, and on that point, Michael, I like to say that that's, again, where education comes into play, becomes such an important part of this home buying process, is that a lot of home buyers will purchase a home, and then, of course, with the intent that um, it would appreciate. And appreciation is basically the value of your home going up over time. That's based on economic conditions, supply and demand. Those things drive up the value of a home. And when that happens, 
that changes the difference between what you purchase your home for and the current market value is called equity. And that equity is what people use to go ahead and uh, or that's their wealth that they're building. And my point of this is that a lot of people have been victimized because once they have this equity, it's like getting newfound wealth. They get marketed and get turned to switch patients by uh, real estate professionals asking mm-hmm. to refinance and mm-hmm. take their money out and go on vacations and things of that nature. And again, if a, if a typical person is not used to managing their $50,000, $50,000 a year salary, how can you expect them to properly manage a $50,000 amount of equity? Mm-hmm. And again, that's something I, I will advocate that that home buyer, uh, I'm sure, sorry, in that case, homeowner, should go through uh, education and counseling required to being able to receive a home equity loan or a lot of credit. Right, and there's a lot of um, financial tools and instruments out there that people really don't know how to use very well, and some people have been duped out of refinancing when they had even an adjustable rate mortgage, which is a tool that actually probably now, if it adjusted in this time period where the interest rates are very low, they would have probably done very well. Exactly, exactly. One of the clients that I have um, received a letter uh, from her lender saying that her interest rate actually went down. It adjusted down from a uh, 6.5% down to a a 4.8% because mm-hmm. of the fact that the labor rate is actually going down, interest rate is going down. So that's a very important point to just make. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you know, for those of us, I'm a real estate investor as well. So for those of us who understand these tools and know how to use them a little bit better than others, you know, you have to really understand your position. You can't believe all that you hear because it may not apply to you. You have to look at basically what you're doing to structure your loans and exactly what they can what the pluses and the minuses are because they all have their benefits and you have to make your decisions based again on really looking at the product and seeing what the the results are based on the market changes because it's all written there in your contract exactly exactly and i even add to this that i like to add this to what you just said is that when i sit down with my clients i say that everything they need to do needs to stem from a financial plan is mm-hmm. what is in line with your financial plan. And getting them to understand that, again, purchasing a home is the first stop on the road to financial freedom. And as you buy that um, or invest, I like to say, into that property, you need to understand how to manage the property. You need to understand when is a good time to refinance and when is not a good time to refinance. Like, for example, you mentioned about the arm. Well, most first-time home buyers now, that won't be an issue. They pretty much gotten rid, gotten rid of most arms, with the exception of FHA, which stands for Federal Housing Administration, has a, a arm, and they can get that arm. And, it's, and, it, and with that arm, or just the rate mortgage, it still clearly spells out what that works or how that works. In other words, one of the things that a person who would get an arm would to consider is what's the capitalization rate. In other words, what's the highest that the interest rate can adjust to? And then what is the um, adjustment period? How often will it adjust? Will it adjust every six months? Will it adjust every year? Those type of things need to be understood. And if they can understand that, and that's clear to them, then on it's not necessarily a bad product. Mm-hmm. It's just not understanding how to adjust, when to adjust, and then adding things such as a prepayment penalty for refinancing your mortgage early, all those type of tricks. Is what buyers need to be weary of, and those pretty much have been removed from most loans. 
particularly for first-time home buyers. If you if a first-time home buyer intends to buy real estate, then my recommendation would be they they should go with an FHA mortgage. Mm-hmm. If they go with FHA mortgage, they won't have to worry about those type of issues. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the other things, too, Chris, is, um, you know, this isn't the first time we've had a real estate market bust. This has happened over and over again in my lifetime. And I think you should really just look back and pay attention to what happened. How did things readjust? You know, I remember back um, when there was a savings and loan crisis and the market took a big hit, you know, um, and when we had um, Black Tuesday, so forth and so on. There's always been something. But if you pay attention to what happened at that time and how these adjustments took place, or if not, just find yourself a financial expert that can help you walk through the process because the plan is generally based on what we've already transitioned through in our past, you know? Exactly, exactly. And it's important. It's great that you mentioned that. Again, that, you know, history pretty much repeats itself. It's not the first time we've gone through this, and it won't be the last time we've gone through it. But what I, what I want to add to that is that this is about one of the best times that to go through these crises it is about one of the best times to go about looking at how you can build wealth. And mm-hmm. then build wealth because, again, you can buy, and people should be looking to buy real estate right now in, in the context that if you're not a home buyer, um, buying your first home, and if you are a home buyer, currently a homeowner, looking at buying a second or third investment uh, property. Of course, mm-hmm. you want to you know, consider things such as your employment uh, situation and how you're going to service that real estate once you purchase it. But, Still, it, it, it should be the plan. And then again, from once you've made that plan, what I'm advocating is the next step is education. Yeah, and let me get advice from counselors and and, and um, planners around the situation. Right. And the biggest thing is we need to eliminate the fear. We need to not pass that on to our children. We need to make them understand, regardless of what the situations that we may have gone through or what's on the news or family members may have experienced, that there is a right way to do this thing. And this is the pathway to wealth. And, you know, just as, you know, properties were overvalued back then before the the real estate bubble burst, they're undervalued now. So you have to remain, you know, liquid and being able to to react and still move forward, regardless of what the uh, the current economic situation is, and be able to still move forward to build wealth and create a plan to be able to help you and your family to do that. Exactly, exactly. And on that note, you know, one of the things I've always that I'm always advocating with my clients is that financial literacy is not only very important, but it's really mandatory for moving forth into this new generation that you have to be financially literate. And mm-hmm. that I know growing up myself that I wasn't raised in a very financially literate family or environment. And so that's something that has to change. And so what I advocate is that people begin to talk about finances around dinner, their dinner table at the barbershop, mm-hmm. in those locations like that, on the phone, on Facebook. Begin to talk about Different financial products. Don't be afraid. Um, uh, I do financial literacy classes for the city of Tacoma Park. And one of the things that I've expressed to people that when I ask them, do they have any, uh, do they have a savings account or are they investing? And they say, well, it seems so overwhelming. It seems very difficult. You know, they look, when they look at the stock market pictures and they try to watch, read the Wall Street Journal, it just seems so overwhelming. And I always say to them that. Well, that's because you're trying to start off at the uh, master degree level, that there is a 
undergrad level that you get before you try before you try to read the Wall Street Journal and read the stock ticket. You understand just basic how the savings work and how does compound interest work and how you can double your money and and then again to get comfortable with your risk. You know at what level of risk are you and what other um, products are out there outside of the stock such as um, CDs and um, bonds and things of that nature and, and that's where I and mutual funds. And, and we really begin to help people understand that there's other financial products they can invest in, and not only should they invest, but they have to invest. Mm-hmm. In this, this current, uh, not only real estate market, but economy overall, has shown people that, you don't, as you mentioned earlier, if you don't have anything liquid right now, then you really miss out on one of the best opportunities to build financial freedom for your family right now. Right. Absolutely. And um, you really can't let this pass you by. And there are people who took a big hit that refused to recover, and they're they're tucking their tails in behind them, and they're just going to be safe from now on. And that that's not what it's about. And uh, I really like what you said about understanding some of the ways financial products work, as well as finances, and some of the even the the fundamentals like compound interest. People really need to know what those things mean and how they work for you, as opposed to you know, comparing it to what the interest rate is on your credit card. That's not what it's about, you know. Exactly. I always like to make the statement that when I was in school, I hated math. And I always hated math until I started putting dollar signs behind the numbers, or funny numbers, I'm sorry. When I put dollar signs and funny numbers, my whole perception of math changed. Mm. <laughs> when I began to explain to clients that way, they began to see things a little differently. Right. I mean, for example, if you, have, if you save $10,000, you have it sitting in a savings account, and you're only earning 2.2% interest on your money, and the bank is loaning your money out at 12 or 18% interest, then that's something you should, before you take that money out and go invest, at some point you should become educated and understand what, what are your risk factors. You know, in other words, what, what level of risk do you have? Are you a uh, conservative or are you moderate or are you aggressive? And then if you're aggressive, uh, what kind of investment vehicles are you going to invest in? Real estate, stocks, bonds, gold. I mean, there's a whole uh, a, a variety of options that a person can use to generate to start making money work for them. But it all begins with the, with the first initial desire to say that I want to make a change for myself and my family. And I think yeah. that's what I really want to really advocate is that people need to begin to look at this time right now in particular and say, not only did we make, want to make a change in 2008 as far as a political change in this country, but make a change in your whole thought pattern, your whole philosophy as it relates to finance, as it relates to um, being more involved with society. And along that change, change your habits at night. Begin to use that time in the evening to read more books, become, financial, become more financially literate, get involved with different investment groups, and just take some financial literacy classes at your local community college or at your local city. Or, again, they can go to my website and they can see some classes that I I myself give on, on the subject of financial literacy as well. Okay, and um, go ahead and give them that website. Okay, it's, it's www.rrshelps.com. And RRS stands for Realty. Resolution Service. And again, the website is www.rrshelps.com. 
Okay, great. And what we're going to do, Chris, is we're going to just take one quick break, and then we'll go ahead and close the show out right after this. Okay. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I want to take a moment to talk to you about a heinous crime against humanity that plagues our nation. And yes, believe it or not, communities just like yours. Here's something you can do today to lend your support in the fight against human trafficking, also known as modern slavery. For example, Tanya was only 11 when she was forced to use her body for her own survival and the perverse desires of others. Now 18, Tanya knows no other life. She can't even remember when she was able to choose how she wanted to dress. Tanya dreams of being a teacher one day, and with the help of Bridge to Freedom programs and your support, they can empower her and others like her to move from surviving to thriving. You can make a huge difference in the life of a survivor this year through your support and donations to Bridge to Freedom Foundation. Bridge to Freedom is a nonprofit organization that provides aid to survivors of slavery who now live in the U.S., such as former child soldiers and victims of sex trafficking and forced labor. The cornerstone of Bridge to Freedom's work is personal and professional development to help survivors adapt and thrive in their new lives and communities and find work to support themselves. The Bridge to Freedom Foundation needs your support to help people just like Tanya. They need your urgent action to ensure that they can continue to provide clothing and health and beauty services to these survivors. These are not only important for rebuilding self-esteem, but are crucial to finding employment. They're also in great need of storage containers and clothing racks to organize and store donations. While donations of needed items are vital, one sure thing that will help to stop the spread of this injustice and prevent it from thriving undetected is educating yourselves about human trafficking or slavery and knowing the signs and the proper authorities to contact if you become aware of a victim in crisis. Find out more at bridgetofreedomfoundation.org or if you have a reason to suspect that someone may be a victim of human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline on 1-888-373-7888. Multilingual call specialists are on standby 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All calls are confidential. Welcome back, Truth Seekers. You've just been listening to another installment of King Street with Christopher King on A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. Chris, I want to thank you for dropping by again. It was a great show. Thank you for sharing so much information. And uh, Did you have anything else you want to present to us as a close? Well, again, just the fact that I want to say the importance of education, 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 and that homeowners and home buyers. Uh, seek education in order to home buyers from the context to stay in their homes and avoid foreclosure. And they can seek education by working with local HUD certified nonprofit counseling agencies. They will work on their behalf to help keep them in their home. And that should be the first person they will contact if they fall behind on their um, mortgage. And for home buyers who are looking to purchase homes, then of course you seek pre purchase education from credit, which is important, get educated around your credit, and then finance. And you can seek that information by going to my website, which is www.rrshelp.com. Oh, that's awesome, man. And um, you, we look forward to the next time you come on and, um, you know, um, share some more information with us. And um, is there uh, an email at the same website, or is, did you want to give them your Facebook? 
Well, I'll give my email address. My email address is, uh, I'll say it first and I'll spell it out. It's drsavemycredit at rrshelps.com. And again, that's doctor, it's spelled D-R-S-A-V-E-M-Y-C-R-E-D-I-T at rrshelps.com. Okay, and I just want to remind everybody that this show is a free download on iTunes. You can just um, Google for A Measure of Truth in King Street or A Measure of Truth in Christopher King, and you will see the show come up on iTunes, and um, it's a free download, so you can actually um, download it to your iPod or whatever MP3 player you have and have the opportunity to share that with friends and family as well, those who didn't get an opportunity to hear this um, broadcast. And um, I see our caller is gone, but Christopher, I want to just thank you for coming on board and, and sharing all this information with us. And special thanks also to our producer, Donna Hardiman. I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth. And there is just one little segment since we have the election coming up. I wanted to remind everybody of where we came from just two years ago in 2008 when we elected President Barack Obama. This is a little commentary, and this is how I pretty much started my show, um, doing commentary like this. But this is the commentary I did back in October of 2008 before the election. While Barack Obama continues to wow his supporters with poise, grace, and real answers for real issues, he continues to gain momentum all the way up to Election Day. The McCain camp, on the other hand, seems to be running out of gas. Now we've come to the end of the road and most Americans have already made up their minds on who they're going to vote for. So where did it all go wrong for McCain? Well, from the very beginning, the McCain camp has had last-ditch effort written all over it. When he ran in 2000, he nearly beat George W. Bush by being an outspoken, honest politician, and only a vicious campaign of lies and radical attacks by Bush stopped him. Hmm, sounds familiar. I guess the Bush team worked him over pretty good, too, and that's right, he has the scars to prove it. Not leaving it to chance that an opponent would use the same sleazy political hitman, he walked right over to the dark side and hired them for his own campaign. Keep your friends close. And your enemies closer? I'm not sure that's what they meant by that. But things are not going as planned, and the Palin factor, although still present, just isn't impacting the campaign in the same way it had. McCain is starting to see that he has blown his last chance to check become the President of the United States of America off his bucket list. Recently, I watched a McCain-Palin joint interview with Sean Hannity, and I sensed some friction between the two. What is very apparent to me, seeing the two together, is that now Sarah Palin realizes that she is more popular than McCain, and win or lose, she has a much brighter future. I said from the very beginning that the Palin factor came with an expiration date, and I think that McCain feels that he's just not getting what he bargained for, while Palin feels that she has far exceeded expectations. And you can bet that she's been taking careful notes on what and what not to do when running for the office of the president. This is Michael Fordham, and that's just my opinion. But in there somewhere, you'll find a measure of truth. Wow, isn't that something? After two years, that commentary still rings true. I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, 
But know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you. that the truth has somehow lost its appeal. In today's society, what really can we say is the truth? Most of what we hear from news sources, whether they're TV, radio, newspapers, magazines, and the Internet, have been crafted with only one goal in mind, to sell more publications, to get higher ratings, and grab the attention of more and more consumers. We as consumers have been corralled, misled, polluted, and confused by the media hype and spin doctor machine until we're too exhausted and overwhelmed by the rhetoric and minutiae to have the real focused attention needed to analyze the facts when the truth finally does come to light. The story that could be has become so enticing to the media conglomerates that the real story and a great story no longer resemble one another. A measure of truth attempts to expose the underlying truth of news stories that you all have heard before, but gives you first-hand accounts from key players that have not yet been given a voice to tell the facts. 
These bearers of the truth are often forced to wait until the media hype has expired. And the backstory, which was in fact the only story, finally comes into vogue. When news and information comes with this much baggage, you can only hope for a measure of truth.